as we are in Shmuel, Perak of Beis, and we saw that David's family, he leaves him to be protected by the king of Moab, and and Martha, the king of Moab is a traitor, and when David's no longer there, he kills David's family. Yeah. Yeah. A question I have. Why did, did the, why the king of Moab killed the parents? For, I don't know for what reason, but wouldn't it be better if he handed them over to Shah HaMelech? Who? They handed over the, David's parents to Shah HaMelech. No, the king of Moab killed them. Why did he kill them? Why did he kill them? So then the Zayv of Mishnah he says, brings a very interesting point. I don't know his sources. He brings that, really, the king of Moab said, one second. These people are really descendants of Rus. Rus was, uh, as we know, a princess of God. She was a Moabi princess. And she was a traitor. And as of the Moabim, she left Moab and she converted to Judaism. She became part of Israel. So the king said, well, then, you know, by our laws, uh, someone like that deserves to get killed. So she's not around to So we're going to punish her descendants in her stead. So, so the Kilo had a fictitious case. A fictitious case against Yishai, as the son, grandson of Rus, that because your grandmother was a traitor to Moab, so that's why we're going to kill you. So there was like some kind of warp justice involved in why they decided uh, to kill to kill David's family. What did she gain out of that? Now the question is why did David have to be, so to speak, involved in such a tragedy? Because really he was the one who brought them to the king of Moab and. Because of that, it's not causing to get killed. So we don't find anywhere that Chazal criticized David for what he did. But nevertheless, there was a lesson to learn. And that is, why did David feel that they would be safer by Moab than, than where they were in Eretz Israel? Can you know? Because David felt that there was being in, under the reign of Shaul was more dangerous than being in Moab. And uh, maybe that was a mistake. Because uh, as much as Shaul wanted to kill David, we don't find that Shaul try to kill David's family. And to rely on non-Jews in Moabim, consider them more more reliable people than Shaul, so David was shown that don't trust Al-Tiftach, uh, don't trust people who uh, they, they, they don't deserve to be trusted on the contrary, they're the ones who are going to turn against you. But he wanted to take in his parents. So we're holding in Perak of Pes, Pasuk Hay. Vayemer God Hanavi al David. This is the first time we meet God Hanavi. He was sent as a Novi to David and he joined David throughout his wanderings before he became a king. And now the first time he sends a message from Hashem to David, and he tells David, Don't remain in the cave where you are. You should go to Eretz Yehuda. So David listens to the Navi, he leaves the, the place where he is in the caves of Adulam, and he goes to Eretz Yehuda to a place called Yarecheres. Um, we're not told uh, why the Novi gave this message to David? We're not told um, why 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 this was important for David. One of the Mefarshim here, one of the Rabbi Yeshaya, has an interesting chiddush. I'll tell you in a second. And then again, I don't know where he got it from. It's not a Chazal, but he <coughs> says that the king of Moab wanted to kill David too, and that's why the Novi came to warn him to run away from where he was because the king of Moab wouldn't have been just content to kill David's family, he wanted to kill David also. And he and, Right, and Kenirah, where David was, was somewhere in the reaches of the king of Moab, and that's why the Navi came to tell David to run from there, 
and then there's the same of his life, which is very interesting because then let's see, it's, we see that uh, David was zeichet to a special sense Ishmael, and the rest of his family wasn't. They weren't they weren't given any direction from Hashem. After David, Hashem sent Navi to protect him and to tell him to run from where he was. When you refer to the rest of his family, you include just his parents? Or? Parents and according to Chazan, his brothers too. His brothers too? His brothers too. The whole family was wiped out? Except for one brother, and the whole family was wiped out. Yishai is buried by Kaver Rus in, in Hebron. That's what they say. The claim is that Yishai is buried in Hebron. How did they transfer? Um, the I wouldn't, if, if, if that really is where he's buried, uh, it wouldn't be hard to understand because later when David becomes a king, he's going to destroy Moab. He couldn't. And then it doesn't care. He could have brought him back to his home. A lot of times, bodies reincarnate. Right. Yeah. We, we bring him back to where he is, to his home, his mm-hmm. hometown of Bethlehem. Okay. So that, that's what David does. He now moves to Yarchares. Now this, the focus of the, sh- the story shifts back to Shaul again. Vayish Mashal ki know the David vanosh Mashaitai. Shaul now finds out that. He, the, he, he hears about the fact that David has become known and there's a whole group of people forming around David. So again, in Shal's eyes, now David isn't just a single rebel, now he's raising a whole army of people who are joining him in rebellion against Shal. But Shal, Yeshev, Giva, Tachas, Eshel, Baram, that was where Shal lived in Giva Shal. So he was, in, he was sitting under the Eshel, under the tree, the Chanisa Biyadai, the Chanavarim, all his servants standing in front of him. Shal calls all his servants together, and uh, why? Because he wants to get information from them. So I am Mishael sends all his servants, the ones who are protecting and the ones who are faithful to him. Shimonah Benjamin doesn't mean sons of Benjamin, because Shal himself is from Benjamin, and therefore his like, inner circle were most trusted. Uh, most trusted were people from Benjamin too, his relatives. And why is he called them that? Because in, for them, David would be a stranger. He was from a different shade. So when you talk about people who just stand also part of Kai Yisrael, then David's the same. He's also part of Kai Yisrael. That if you're going to make it something which uh, has a certain tribal allegiance, so then the people of Binyamin would be naturally be more loyal to Shaul than to David, who's from a different shevet. So he, he addresses the people of Yishevet Binyamin, and he says, I know that, you know, he starts off by accusing him. He says, I know that you all Secretly in collaborators with David, because he's promised you wealth and he's promised you positions and he's promised you uh, the incentives to support him. Is this so? And it's not so. This is just a psychological way to get him to try and prove the loyalty to him, to deny it and see. So look, we'll show you it's not true. Uh-huh. What we'll do for you. Um, David never spoke to them. They're all from the servants are all from Binyamin. Yes. How many are there? There were so few remaining after. I don't know, I don't know how many servants oh, there were in Shaul's inner circle. There don't have to be hundreds of people. It could be the few people that Shaul trusted, mm-hmm. and those are the people closest to him. So now here, Shaul is trying to, so to speak, uh, get, uh, trying to psychologically get them to prove their loyalty by him, by uh, accusing them, and then by making them uh, try and work to disprove the allegation and, and show their loyalty to him. Why? And Shaul so accuses his servants, he says, Kikshaitim kulchem alai. You've all banded against me. And no one even told me, Even my own son made a, made a covenant with Ben Yishai. That was Yehudah's son. You see, Shaul's never forgiven Yehudah's son. So he said, my own son was the one who made a peace treaty or a deal with a breast, a covenant with Ben Yishai. No one even told me about it. How did she know? How did he know about that? Yeah. 
probably from the way that Jonathan stood up with David, that like we saw yeah. when in, in the showdown between Shal and Jonathan, uh, to go to the stage where Shal wanted to kill Jonathan. Yeah. So Jonathan didn't necessarily take his father's hand. And he says, God is, No one feel sorry for me. And we told to, to Tom what's going on. Because my son made my servant, means David, into my enemy today. And so he says, like, that, uh, so to speak, the, the, the feeling of, uh, of disloyalty, of uh, working against against the king starts very high from the from the, from, the, from the crown prince. And he said you're all you're all working with him. Everyone's on your against him. No one's no one's thinking about me, no one's trying to help me. You're all aware of the plot which is forming against me and no one no one wants to help me. No one's no one knows the intent of me uh, about what's what's happening which I don't even know about. Is, is he is he reasonable here and trying just to sway them? With, with logic and cunning, or is he a psychopath and neurotic? No, it doesn't seem like at this stage he was under the influence of the Rakhra. He was genuinely thought that there was a rebellion forming against him, and he calls his servants and says, Why is no one helping me? Uh-huh. Why, are you, why are you all keeping quiet and not giving, telling me what's happening? And uh, more and more people are, so to speak, are so gathering together with David against me. So, like I said, it was the speech was in a way which was meant to. Convince those people who were loyal to Shaul, Shaul to prove their loyalty, and and therefore give them information about the conspira- conspira- conspirators who were working against him. So the first one to speak was Daigadim. He was Nitzav, he was like appointed above the other servants of Shaul. So if Shaul had called his servants and asked them to, to inform him of the plot against him, so then the one who would be the leader of the servants was Daigad Aimi. Hazal was the leader of the servants, he's also the head of the Sanhedrin. So he's obviously somebody who was considered respected. And this is the same Daigad Aimi who had been in Naib when David had come and asked Elimelech the Kohen Gadol for food and for the sword. Okay, so Daigad has been convinced to share the information. I saw when Yishai coming to Noiv to Achimelech, he's a king And Achimelech asked on his behalf to the Rambamim, but said Nasan gave him food. And he also gave him the sword of Goyas of So it looks like Doeg is just merely sharing information that what he had seen. He was there, he saw. He saw that David came, he saw that he had asked Achimelech to ask a shayla for him, he asked for food, and he asked for the sword. So on the surface of it, it looks like uh, Daik just relates information uh, to Shaul, and now Shaul is going to choose tackle that information. But we see that, like always, um, especially someone who's a Russia, so if you look carefully, there was much more evil in what Daik did than just actively report information. Number one, he leaves out a lot of the details. A lot of the details which all could be used to Achimelech's defense. The first one is, when David came to Achimelech, right. he said to him, I'm coming on a secret mission from the king. So he made, he, David, it wasn't the truth, but David made it clear to Achimelech that he's not coming against Shaul, or, with, or with, he's not even without Shaul's knowledge. What David told Achimelech is, I was sent on a mission from the king. 
So Achimelech would, would definitely be allowed to believe him and think this is that he's, he's aiding Shaul by aiding David as coming um, as his special messenger. Though he leaves it out. He, he doesn't say at any point that, that Achimelech was under false impression of what David was doing there. Number two, we saw in the story that David was in a situation of Pekoch Nefesh. We didn't eat, which is why he was allowed to even eat the lechem of the, of the, of the lechem upon him. And again, Doug doesn't say anything. If that had been the case, then Achimelech was completely irrationally. If a person is in a state of Pekoch Nefesh, you have to give him food. It's not a sign of rebellion. And to use lechem Kodesh, if that's all there is, it's Pekoch Nefesh. Whereas if you leave that, leave that detail out, and now you see why Zachimelech giving the, the lechem upon him to David is not a coin, it looks much worse. So he, David, David didn't accurately represent what actually happened. Number two. Number three, he changes the order. What happened was David came first and asked for food. It was only afterwards, that, after he'd eaten, then he asks Zachimelech, and asked, do you have a sword? And, give him, and Zachimelech said, the only sword I have is the sword of God, yes? And David's unpacking it, like we saw before. Um, the the way that David presents it is all he changes the order. He said first David came to ask if Shai from Hashem and Achimelech did that for him, and only afterwards he asked for food, and he says he gave him the sword of God. Yes. Now that wasn't again that wasn't accurately what happened. What happened is David asked for a sword, and when Achimelech said the only sword that is here is the sword of God, yes, David took it. But it wasn't that Achimelech offered it to him. So, Daik deliberately misrepresents the facts. So it wasn't just a shayla of Lashon Hara, it was a shayla of uh, Shekeh, it was a shayla of Moshe Shema. He was making a case against Achimelech, when Achimelech was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong, and Daik presents it in such a way which looks very incriminating. Now, why did Daik do that? Why did Daik do that? We know that Daik's enemy was David, that we know. And we know that the whole of Daik hates David. But this isn't affecting David. This is, they don't even know where David is. This is affecting the Kohen. So, why would Doeg want to, uh, so to speak, to, to, to kill the Kohen when, when that he had nothing against them? So, what is the motivation? He, he shows how loyal he is to Saul. Oh, so the answer is number one, to show his loyalty to Saul. Number one, and number two, to create a deterrent. And that is if uh, the whole city of the Kohen were going to get punished for helping David. So now no one else is going to want to help David. I think even the Kainim, who were considered in a special category, they were considered the Kainim Gadol. And he's going to get killed for helping David, so then you can be sure that there are not going to be too many supporters uh, in the, around the country to help David when they see what their repercussions are. Now, is that, a, is that a halakhically acceptable thing to do? Of course not. You can't kill somebody as a deterrent, as a deterrent for other people if they're not five missing. But and that, was one of the, that was one of the... Um, e- the elements of the mistake of Daik, of the Lashon Hara that he spoke, for this incident, Daik gets the ultimate punishment. We know that the mission says about him that he doesn't have a Even though he was a great man, even though he was ahead of a Sanhedrin, so he was an accomplished Talmud Chacham also, but for this event, uh, he loses his Lashon Hara. And he's in the category of one of the four people that the Gemara says about him that they don't have a Lashon Hara. And the Chavetz Chaim points out a number of times that you see how serious Lashon Hara is, that even a person who would otherwise be considered a person, a great person, the most of the uh, Lashon Hara would be enough to, and the effects of Lashon Hara, they lost all the Shara that they had. But he, from 
the, just the tone that, and, and the words that he's saying, doesn't sound like a Talmud Chacham. It sounds like there's Talmud Chacham. Because she was, he was acting as a Rasha, 100%. What he was doing was wrong. It goes to show you, even after, like Akitofel, it's also tremendous Talmud Chacham. Right, for a different reason. Just, just because somebody has the brains doesn't yeah. mean he's a Tzaddik. Right. Now, so what happens? So the Navi, when in the, in the Nah, someone's referred to just by his father's name as opposed to his own name, it's a sign of Kedavetz, it's a stain, it's a sign of Buzayim. And I don't want to call you by your own name, so I call you Ben somebody else. Just like Shaul always calls David Ben Yeshai. He didn't want to say the name David. So he always calls him, just like in the first before, before, Ben Yeshai. It, it a, right, it was a sign of disdain for the person that I don't give you your own name. So saying over here, he says, listen, Ben Achit. Yeah. Right, it's not, it doesn't have his own, his own, so to speak, importance, his own identity. Why did you conspire against me together with, again, Ben Yishai, that's a common David. Where you gave him bread and the sword, and you asked the Urimitomi for him, how to lock him away, how to work against me as an Urim, as an ambush today. Which that was something else which Shaul added, which was even less true. What 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 had happened was David had asked the Shire of Norimitan, wait if he should run. Dayak had told it to Shaul that Achimelech asked for David Norimitan. Shaul decided that what Achimelech asked was how to conspire against him. And that's why when he accuses uh, when he accuses Achimelech, he says, Why did you ask Hashem how to become a lay, how to rise up against me? Because now that's a uh, as much as giving David food and a sword could be considered treachery, but if you're asking Ashaidas about how to you know, how to plan a revolt, that's for sure treachery. That's for sure the rebellion, which is what wasn't what happened. It wasn't what David asked. It wasn't what Achimelech asked for him. And but Shaul assumes that's the case, and that's why he levels that as an accusation. And Achimelech, you must remember, doesn't know about all of this. Achimelech, the coin, was involved in Avodah Hashem in the Mishkan, and he doesn't know about all the political intrigue going on, mm-hmm. and that Shaul has turned against David, and that Shaul wants to kill David. And therefore, Achimelech says, which for someone who doesn't know the background story, must not have sense. Ayan Achimelech is a melech, What's wrong with David? David's your most faithful servant. He's the most respected person in your house. And that's why, why are you saying I'm working against you because I helped David? Which is what exactly what Achimelech thought when David came to him. He knew David is the, the son of the king, David is the leader of the army, David is someone who is faithful to Shaul. Why would, why would I think for a second that helping David is working against you? On the contrary, I thought that I was helping you. And it was even more than that. David came saying, I want a mission from Shaul. Now, why didn't Achimelech add that? Achimelech said, David's, a, David's your faithful son-in-law. David's your most respected officer. 
uh, why would we be working against you if I'm helping him? Why did he just say even more? He assumed that and the that soul is, also knew that. But, and why did he say? And he told me that I'm doing on a mission for you. Yeah. Right? So here we see a tremendous point. Um, there's a story with the Vilagon. The one time, the Vilagon was in a coach and he was being driven by the coach driver. And the Vilagon was inside Lenny. And the coach driver was busy dealing with the horses. And there's all these empty roads in the middle of the rural Europe. And the coach driver looks around and he sees like hay in the fields. And he sees no one around. He's great. I'll get some from my horse. He jumps off the wagon, he steals some hay, puts it on the property next to him, and drives off the wagon. Anyway, he was seen, and the guy who owned the field noticed the wagon mm-hmm. st- um, stealing hay, so they chase after it. And uh, the wagon driver notices he's being pursued, so he hops off the wagon and runs off to hide in the forest, leaving the Vilnagon sitting in, in the wagon learning unaware what's going on. Stop the guy and catch up, they see the wagon driver, they open the wagon. They see the Vilna going inside learning. Oh, well, he was on the wagon, so they start, they start hitting him. Who stole the hay? Mm-hmm. They didn't think he did, but like, who's the wagon driver? Who stole our hay? And the guy said for a second he was tempted to answer. It was not to do with me, it must have been the wagon driver. Mm-hmm. But then he decided that it was being, being mostly somebody else. In other words, uh, basically, uh, giving somebody else, indicting them, incriminating them, that, that would then the guy would go look for the wagon driver. And the guy, after the incident, he said he thanked Hashem at the last seconds, he realized that, he kept quiet. He said he's happy to take all the blows that they hit him, not to say a word to incriminate somebody else, not to be a moser. Mm-hmm. It's worth being moser than official. That's the story of the building going. The same thing over here. For Achimel to say, I thought that I was doing the right thing. I thought I was helping David. David was son in law. I thought he was faithful. Mm-hmm. So then he's defending himself. If he's going to say, David came and told me he's working for you, I'm really incriminating him. And if Achimel wasn't going to do that. Wow. It's a tremendous godness. As much as I'm prepared to defend myself, I'm not going to use it at the expense of, of incriminating somebody else, which is that uh, he wasn't a Mason. Did Shaul do anything wrong by accepting the um, the Russian horror? For from sure. Him, uh, from, he did. For sure. But he's the Melech. He's supposed to. Is it? It's like Chungu uh, Gedalia. He's done something wrong, and uh, what 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 we we'll see? What should have happened is, even if he wants to try Chimelech, it needs a proper basin, and it needs uh, to be uh, to to weigh up both sides. And uh, like we see, Shaul already came to conclusions. Before even Hirach Yimelech said, he said, why are you conspiring against me and asking Hashem how to run a revolution? That was nothing, that you didn't even hear the story yet. You haven't even heard the other side of the case. You've already decided that this is a rebellion. If a person hears Lashon Hara and he's already made up his mind that the other person is guilty before even talking to them, of course you can't judge a case like that. Which is why it's a rule in Hilchus Dayanin. There's a rule in Hilchus Dayanin that a Dayan is not a, who's heard one side of the story is no longer a judge. It's no longer a judge. Why? Because having heard one side, I already formed an impression. And before the other person's come, I've already, thought, I've already I've made up my mind, so to speak, what I think about the case. So I can't judge it anymore. You can only judge a case if you haven't heard anything until both sides are in front of you at the same time, and they can both present their arguments together. And what should have Gedalia, Gedalia, you know, time of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what should he have done? 
he accepted. He didn't. He did not accept the lush, the, uh, the the warnings. He thought it was lashon hara. He's not going to accept it. So he was murdered. No. So so I said that I did wrong. Is again same thing. You shouldn't ignore it. You should you should take it seriously and, and check up. But in a way which is rational, you don't have to assume automatically that the other person is guilty. But then you should uh, find out. And the same thing here. Shaul wasn't wrong to call in Achimelech for a hearing. Shaul was wrong to have made up his mind about him even before he came. But nevertheless, he called him in, and Achimelech d- didn't dispute what Shaul said. Achimelech defended himself. Achimelech said, "I didn't know David was working against you." Oh, did you consider David an enemy? I considered him your 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 trust, trusted okay. ally. So that was the defense. Yeah. And no, he didn't deny the story, but he said it wasn't meant to be a rebellion. Okay. And Shaul just didn't accept. Shaul didn't accept it, but even before Achimelech said it, he didn't accept it. It says, "Hayom achilosi lishal lebelakim kadinali." But now that I would, now that I know that you're an enemy of David, so that I would now would I go and ask for something for sure? Not has to show it. And he said, don't hold it against me or against the other kind because we didn't know anything about this. Now you tell me David's an enemy, David's the rebel, David's trying to fight against you. It wasn't so, we never knew that he was a rebel, we never knew he was against you, we never considered him your enemy. We were doing anything against the king. Now, once again, was, was Achimelech's argument a good argument? Yes. You can't try somebody on being a rebel to the king if they don't think that they're doing anything wrong. If they think they're being faithful to the king. If you'd want to incriminate him, you'd have to first prove that he knew that David was working against Shaul and and uh, he was helping David, so to speak, uh, aiding and abetting him in avoiding Shaul or trying to rebel against Shaul. And the king's are none of that. All he knows is that Achimelech gave David food in the sword but Achimel said, I gave it to him because I thought he was your, on your side. This is the first time hearing that you consider David to be an enemy. So, by right, Achimel's argument should have been accepted. If I had been in a rational basin and asked somebody, why did you rebel against the king? Because I thought, why did I rebel against the king? I was helping the king. Does a melech need a basin to, the melech, uh, to, to give so out the, justice? The, the Rambam holds that he does. It's, it's Mathaikas. But even if, according to other opinions that he doesn't, at least he has to be level-headed. At least he has to be fair. This is, a Melech also has to execute justice. A Melech can't do things capriciously. That was the first point. The second point is, uh, there was no reason in the world to bring the other Kohanim to, to the picture. It had nothing to do with him. They, they, they weren't a part of the story at all. And the fact that Shaul is now considering all the Kohanim to be guilty, mm-hmm. that's for sure wrong. He doesn't even have a claim against the other Kohanim. Shaul was punished for the order of Yes, he got killed. The reason Rashal got killed was because he, because of the story. But why is Spanish was it like Doiv? Nashmar is worse. Nashmar is worse. wrong, and so Shal's, until now all that Shal has been told was you're going to lose the kingdom. But because of this story, Shal told you're going to kill, you're going to get killed. Not just you, your whole family, and Shal's whole family are going to see him and all his sons. Yeah, they all get killed. What? That was the punishment for another. Why, why did the sons kill for Shaul Severin? We'll talk about that. As Hashem, we'll get that still. In the meantime, so that's so that's why uh, Shaul was wrong. Number one, even though he called him the coin, but he wasn't in a position to judge fairly. 
And like I said, the the proof of that is the fact that the other crime had nothing to do with the crime. Um, definitely should have been innocent. Why they should bring them? You didn't have a claim against them. So this was Charles' biggest biggest mistake. If you want to see next time, Moshe Pasuk Tezayin, Vayem Amelech Moshe Thomas Achimelech Atzav Achol Beisavich. Shall Pasuk Ziyachimelech and all the family of the Kohen are going to get killed. And the question is, why in the world? It was a completely uh, unfair and completely uh, mistaken judgment. And uh, as a, a tzaddik like Shaul, as a tragedy, could come to such a big mistake. Chazal learned this, that when Hashem told Shaul to kill all of Amalek, and Shaul said, how can I do that? How can I kill innocent people? Yeah, maybe the warriors, maybe the men, but the children, the babies, the innocents. And the Gemara says that when Shaul said that, the Bible came in and asked from Shemayim and said, a person who tries to have Rachamim, <coughs> when Hashem tells them not to have Rachamim, when they're meant to be strong, is going to land up having cruelty when they're meant to have Rachamim. And this was the other side of the story. That on the one hand, he's willing to spare the babies of Amalek. But when it comes to the Kohen, we're innocent, he's going to kill everybody. And then, what happened to Rachamim, Mishal? How can it be that when it comes to Amalek, you feel sorry and pity for helpless babies, when it comes to the Kohenim, who really were innocent, you, then you, well, where did that pity go? And that's what Hashem shows him, that just like the cruelty was misplaced, the the mercy on Amalek was misplaced too. So that's what that was, this was the unfortunate sequel to that story. And actually next time we'll talk about what's the one going to do with the other one. How being too cruel on the one side can brings to of having too much rachim on the one side brings to being too cruel on the other. Imagine we still talk about that.